you have a copy of God's Word, please turn to Paul's epistle to Titus. The book of Titus will be this morning in chapter 2, continuing in our regular series through this little book. That will be this morning in verses 3 through 5. Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Please follow along as I read. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the Word of God may not be reviled. Let me ask that we pray once more. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray together in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, This morning's message in Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, is very much a part 2 from last week. Uh, Last time we were together, we considered Paul's instructions to older and younger men as they're given to us in Titus chapter 2 and verse 2 to older men and then verse uh, 6 and really through verse 8 to younger men. Now this week we consider Paul's instructions to older and younger women as they're summarized in verses 3 through 5. Now I'll just briefly remind you of what I said last week at the beginning of the message and that is that verses 1 through 10 where Paul is giving instructions Uh, for what it looks like to live godly lives in the present age, that as Paul gives these instructions, verses 1 through 10 are vitally connected to verses 11 through 14. If you miss this connection, you really do miss uh, everything. Uh, We have to recognize, if we read this passage in its full context, uh, that uh, Paul is not calling these Christians to live uh, simply out of their own resources, uh, but rather Paul is calling these Christians to live uh, from the vantage point within the framework of the grace of God given to these Christians through regeneration. Uh, because in verse 11, Paul says that it is, uh, we're to live this way for the grace of God uh, has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. The idea is that this is what the grace of God is meant to do. It's meant to produce in Christian people godliness of life, righteousness of life. And so what Paul does in verses 1 through 10 is lay out what godly life looks like for older men and younger men, older women, younger women, and he roots this this vision for the Christian life in what God has accomplished through His grace in bringing salvation and new birth and regeneration to all people. And that same grace that saves us is the grace that also trains us. It trains us to live godly lives, self-controlled, upright lives in the present age. It trains us to renounce lawlessness and ungodliness and to live in accord with God's will. It's the grace of God that not only saves us, but it trains us. The new birth leads to new life. Regeneration produces godliness. So we must recognize we seek to live in light of these commands in verses 1 through 10, not to secure or earn God's favor, but to live faithfully within God's favor. Uh, These instructions given to us are not the gospel, but they flow from the gospel. Uh, This this moral life we're called to live uh, is not the root of our salvation, but it is our salvation's fruit. This morning, I'd like to open up verses 3 through 5 uh, under three main headings to sort of frame our time, our consideration of these verses. Uh, first of all, we'll consider Paul's assumptions about the Cretan churches, a few of Paul's assumptions about the Cretan churches that we can detect here in these verses, and then we'll look at Paul's instructions to older women and then his instructions to younger women. Consider with me first a few assumptions uh, Paul makes about 
the Cretan churches. And there's, there's three in particular I want to highlight, and I think we can see these three within uh, these verses themselves. These are things that Paul is assuming, uh, though he doesn't uh, exactly state them and bring them to the forefront. Uh, first of all, Paul seems to assume uh, that the church ideally should be multi-generational. Uh, the church ideally should be multi-generational. As you read Paul's words to older men and younger men and to older women and younger women, it appears that Paul assumes that there are older men and younger men, older women and younger women in the same congregation, and not only that, these generations are making contact. Uh, That's made very clear in his instructions to women in particular. These older women and younger women are not siloed into separated groups, but rather they're together in one body. Uh, God's design for the church is that it is to be a supernatural entity, a supernatural community in which people of different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different ages, different hobbies and interests, different walks and ways of life come together as one united body, and in that body they live together as a new people, as a new creation, as a new humanity, uh, united together by the blood of Jesus Christ, uh, by the gospel, and that extends to age. Apparently, in these Cretan churches, it was expected, it was assumed, older people and younger people would be together in the same body. And so, it's not the way of the Scriptures uh, for when the gospel comes into a community to set up, you know, First Baptist Church of the older folks and Second Baptist Church of the younger folks. Uh, In our day and age, um, there are some churches that have multiple services. That's very common. And sadly, very often, those services Uh, are sometimes, you know, one is designed for older folks, one is designed for younger folks. And what happens is all the older folks go to the older folks' service, and all the younger folks go to the younger folks' service. That's not how it's meant to be. Uh, This passage assumes older and younger are together, and they're mixing, and they're making contact, and they're in uh, vital, intimate relationships together, and they're living together as a family of God's people. And, And I'll just mention sort of one application for a church like ours, we don't have multiple services, don't have intentions to move in that direction. But I think it's instructive to us as well. We should not be eager uh, to separate out people uh, into uh, age and stage of life kind of groups. That's not to say we're against senior ministry. I think that would be wonderful. We're not against a youth group. It's okay to separate into people in the same age and stage of life. Uh, But we shouldn't be so eager to break up the congregation into to little groups that match where we are in life, uh, as, as though that's where we get our real fellowship. That's where real community happens, when I'm with my own little group. Uh, Paul's assumption, the vision that's held out for us here in this passage, is a church in which people who are unlike each other in all kinds of ways, in this particular way in terms of their age and stage of life, they're mixing, they're together, and they're in relationship with one another, and that's part of God's design for the church. All right, now, the second assumption I'm detecting in this passage from the Apostle Paul, the church should be multi-generational, certainly. The second is this, and don't feel you need to write down all these words, okay, if you're taking notes. Um, God bless you if you try. Um, I'll try to read slowly. Uh, the second assumption, uh, the church should be a place where the beauty, wisdom, and godliness of mature older women are highly valued, uh, not just by the church leadership, but by younger people. I'll say that again. The church should be a place where the beauty, wisdom, and godliness of mature older women are highly valued, not only by church leadership, but by younger people. I I fear sometimes that older women in the church are perhaps the most overlooked, underappreciated, and undervalued group in the church. And if we're thinking biblically, if we're thinking in line with God's Word, that should not be true in any church. Older women should be valued. Older women should be esteemed, uh, not just for who they are as older women, but in their contribution to the life of the church. The Bible teaches that special honor is due to older people simply by virtue of their age. The Bible teaches that if you are sitting across from someone 20, 30, 40, 50 years older than you, there is a special sort of honor and respect you owe to that individual simply, if for no other reason than that they're older than you. 
The Bible teaches that. I'm not going to bother to make that case by adducing lots of scriptures now, but I could bring dozens of texts to bear that establish that point. Furthermore, the Bible teaches that the sort of wisdom and godliness that often come with old age and experience are to be especially valued. So, so, so we should honor older folks among us simply by virtue of the fact that they're older folks. But the Bible also teaches the sort of wisdom and godliness that resides in those who have walked closely with the Lord for decades is of special value to the life of the church and to the life of the Christian. So let me um, pick on the younger generation and then I'll pick on the older generation. I'll be an equal opportunity offender, okay? Now the younger generation, and I'm part of the, the younger generation, okay? So, so, so me on down, let's say. My generation has been far too self-assured and frankly cocky, and we have acted as though uh, we know everything and have nothing to learn from older generations. Uh, ageism is a very serious problem in churches today. Uh, the church today is getting younger, faster, sleeker, and if the old folks can't uh, hang in there and keep up, well, that's their problem. Okay, shame on us. Shame on us. Uh, younger generations can be so irreverent. We can be so egalitarian as to think that the 25-year-old guy who has walked with Christ for five years has just as much to bring to the table as the 75-year-old guy who's been walking with Christ for half a century. Or, or, or that the young woman uh, in her late 20s uh, brings the very same thing to the table that the woman in her 70s brings who has been walking with Christ for a couple of generations. Listen, shame on us if we think that way. Uh, we should not assume, younger folks, that we have it all together. We should not be self-confident and self-assured, that we have all the answers. And sadly, that is a symptom of our generation, uh, not only culturally, but in the church today. We see it in a number of places. There is a certain honor and respect due to older generations, and there is a certain posture the young should take toward the old, a posture of listening, a posture of esteem, and a posture of a certain sort of receptive deference that is particularly becoming of young people who have much to learn. Now let me pick on the older generation. The sort of beauty, wisdom, and godliness that attends these sort of older men and older women here in Titus 2 is not achieved simply by aging. What Paul is calling for here, both in older men and particularly for this message in older women, is not sort of the reward for growing old. It is cultivated over decades of walking closely with God. And I fear in many churches, one of the reasons young people have not always been eager to pursue older mentors is simply because older generations haven't always been faithful to walk with God as they should and know their Bibles as they should. Not every older person has, has has grown into the sort of beauty and wisdom and godliness that's held forth in this passage. Okay, now that I've stepped on everybody's toes, uh, let me say something sweet. Uh, I am so encouraged and frankly impressed as I have seen younger people here who are eager to pursue relationships with older mentors. And I think many of the younger families in this church regularly invite and pursue the wisdom of older generations. There's a growing esteem for the older generations of this church. And more than that, I'll say I think the older generations have earned it. Uh, the, the, the older members of this church, I bless God, are not silly, they're not frivolous, uh, they're not unworthy of respect. Um, if a young person were to come to me and to say, Pastor Alex, I really would love to have um, a Titus II older man in my life or a Titus II older woman in my life to sort of mentor me and help me in this way or, or that way. I think I could open my bulletin, I could turn to any page, and I can find older saints worthy of imitation in this body of believers. And I just want to publicly bless God for that and commend the older generation in our church. A third assumption that Paul makes in this passage, he assumes the church should be multi-generational, he assumes that the beauty, godliness, and wisdom of older women, and of course older men as well, ought to be valued. Thirdly, the church should be a place where connectedness 
mentorship and discipleship among the church body are normal and organic. The church should be a place where connectedness, mentorship, and discipleship among the church body are normal and organic. Uh, Paul seems to assume in this passage that there is present or should be present in the Cretan churches a culture of discipling, that the older women are eager to engage younger women and help them in their faith. I I see what Paul is after here in these verses as the sort of life-on-life kind of discipling relationships we try to promote here at Emmanuel. Uh, This is not a program or an event. Uh, This involves actually walking together and alongside one another as disciples of Christ. And Paul's assumption is this is supposed to be happening in the church, that members are investing meaningfully, regularly, deliberately in one another's lives such that it would be natural be organic for the older women and the younger women to connect in these ways. So let me just take this opportunity to say and to encourage our church again in this. We've talked about this, I think, a number of times in messages and classes, but we really do need to do everything we can to cultivate this kind of a culture in our church where it is normal for an older woman to approach a younger woman and ask her out for coffee or invite her over to her house, or offer to come and visit with her and her kids. And it should be normal for that older woman to lead that younger woman in prayer. And for that older woman to ask, how are you doing spiritually? How are things going in the marriage? How are things going with the kids? What has God been teaching you lately? How can I be praying for you? That needs to be part of just the air we breathe. That should be part of the ethos and culture of our church and our relationships with one another. You're not asking the pastors to create this situation for you. It's not the product of a program. You don't go up to a younger woman and just demand this from her, that she needs to be in a sort of relationship with you as an older woman. But nonetheless, these sorts of relationships develop organically, uh, cultivated naturally. And sisters, I encourage you, I'm calling on you through this passage to help us at Emmanuel Church, help us in contributing to creating a healthy culture of discipling in our church, because no sermon can do this. Uh, No program can do this. Uh, We need godly women of the faith and godly men of the faith who are modeling this in our midst and contributing to this culture in our church. Those are a few assumptions I just wanted to lay out that, that I think we can detect in Paul's words. Now let's actually look at Paul's instructions, first to older women, And then next to the younger women. So the second main heading, Paul's instructions to older women. Now please look again at verse 3. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women. There are four things Paul is calling these older women to. That's not to say there aren't other things older women should give attention to, but there's four things that Paul highlights here for the older women. Let's consider each one. First of all, Paul says these older women should be reverent in behavior. Reverent in behavior. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of someone who's reverent in behavior. Uh, The word here used, it's translated uh, reverent, actually has priestly connotations. Uh, You would use this word if you were referring to how one ought to conduct oneself in holy places such as the temple. That would be a a reverent atmosphere, and there's a certain sort of behavior or conduct that would accord with one who's in such a holy place or environment. When paired with the phrase in behavior, so reverent in behavior, the idea is essentially holiness of behavior that sort of commands respect. Behavior that is befitting a person who professes godliness. That is behavior becoming of one who belongs to God and is devoted to God's service. This is where Paul starts. The older women ought to be reverent in behavior. They ought to be holy. They ought to conduct themselves and speak and act in such a way that demonstrates that they belong to God and are devoted to His service. Secondly, Paul says negatively that these older women are not to be slanderers. They're not to be slanderers. Uh, This is a requirement that is included in 1 Timothy 3 for deacons' wives. 
Uh, when Paul is laying out the qualifications for deacons, he then goes to talk about the women, perhaps the wives, and one of the qualifications Paul lists there is that they're not to be slanderers. And the word that's used here in Titus 2, the Greek word that's used, is the Greek word diabolos, uh, which is actually the word that is usually used in the pastoral epistles to refer to Satan. Slander, which is to speak falsely of someone else in a way that is harmful to them or their reputation, is properly understood to be satanic behavior. It's not an overstatement to say that when you slander another person, you are doing Satan's work. He loves slander. He is the father of lies. And if he can turn the women of the church into slanderers, he's well on his way to ruining the church. Slander and her twin sister, Gossip, are two of the greatest threats to the health of a church and to the health of a Christian. But Paul's laying out a different vision here for these godly and reverent women. Uh, They weren't to be known as slanderers or gossip. They spoke with integrity and honesty and charity about others. Uh, So, sisters, I just want to humbly and soberly encourage you to put slander to death in your own life. Uh, Put gossip to death. Put backbiting to death. Don't let these things get a foothold in your life. Let me encourage you to speak about others in such a way that you would not be ashamed to own your words in the presence of Christ himself. More than that, speak so as to contribute to the health of the body and to the building up of your sisters in Christ. How handsome a thing would it be if every older woman in this place was a model of sound speech? Let's seek to encourage one another in that. We don't want to be slanderers or gossips or backbiters. We want to use our speech to build up our sisters in Christ and to build up our church family. Uh, Thirdly, the older woman is not to be addicted to wine. Uh, This would have been a common indulgence in Cretan culture and perhaps especially among women in those days. Uh, The Bible includes other warnings that women not give themselves to idleness and to drunkenness. Uh, The New Testament includes many warnings against drunkenness. So if we're thinking according to the Bible, we should never allow ourselves to be casual about drunkenness, casual about the abuse of alcohol, casual about being buzzed or tipsy. Uh, We should seek to live according to God's will. We should not be enslaved to anything. And I think it would be legitimate to say, not just alcohol, but we're not to be drunk or enslaved or intoxicated with anything at all, but rather we should live in a way that honors God. Don't get drunk with wine, Paul says, but be filled with the Spirit. And then fourthly and finally, for these older women, the fourth instruction Paul gives to them, this is really the heart of these verses, Paul says they are to teach what is good and so train the younger women. These older women are to possess this sort of character, they're reverent in behavior, they're not slanderers, they're not addicted to wine, and furthermore, Paul assigns a, a function to these older women. They're to teach what is good, and so train the younger women. Uh, The word Paul uses here for for teach what is good uh, is actually a word that some scholars believe that Paul coined. We don't find it in any other places in Greek culture. Uh, It's challenging to translate, but the translation in the ESV is probably correct. They are to teach what is good. Uh, They're to teach what is right. Now, Paul is not referring here to a formal teaching position in the church, but probably has in view more informal discipleship, and that seems to be what he conveys in the subsequent verses. I really appreciate what William Mounts has said on this passage. He says, quote, this does not refer to an official teaching position in the church, but rather to informal one-on-one encouragement. It pictures the older women, those who were experienced in life, marriage, and child-rearing, taking the younger women in the congregation under their care and helping them to adjust to their responsibilities. And I so appreciate this. He says, it is a blessed and needed ministry that cannot be accomplished by men. It's a blessed and needed ministry that cannot be accomplished by men. And there's lots of things pastors can do. There's lots of things wise older men can do and ways they can instruct and encourage younger women Uh, But older sisters, 
we can't effectively train younger women in how to love their husbands and love their wives in the ways that only you can. Uh, You can do so from experience. You can do so from uh, the vantage point of a certain provenness in these areas. And so in order to effectively disciple younger generations, there is a great need in the church for seasoned older women who are reverent in behavior, they're not slanderers, they're not enslaved to anything, but they have a proven record of loving their husbands and loving their children and walking by faith. And they have this special function, this special calling to encourage and to help and to train the younger women in the church. Presumably, at least it seems to me, that these older women were to initiate the relationship. It doesn't mean it would be wrong for a younger woman to approach an older woman. Indeed, it would be a wonderful thing for a younger woman to approach an older woman and say, would you, would you help me? Would you mentor me? Would you befriend me? But it does seem that the older women were to initiate. Uh, perhaps they did so in partnership with the elders or as part of some program. I don't really get that sense here. We don't have any evidence of that. Uh, this doesn't have the feel of a sort of sign-up sheet kind of thing. This appears to be more organic and uh, natural. The content of what they should teach uh, is defined for us in the subsequent verses. Uh, They're to teach and train the women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, to be pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their husbands. It's highly practical stuff, Uh, like Christianity 101 kind of stuff. Now, I sometimes hear women express uh, a certain sort of reluctance to pursue these kinds of relationships, these Titus II kinds of relationships. And and the fear is sometimes expressed that I just don't feel qualified to do that. I don't know that I can do that. Well, sister, let me encourage you. You don't have to have a seminary degree to do this kind of stuff. You don't have to have memorized lots of scripture. You don't need to be a skilled theologian to do this. You don't need to have read tons of books to do this. All you need, sister, is to know the Lord, to love his word, and to love your younger sisters in the faith. That's all you need. This is highly practical Christianity 101 stuff. Paul doesn't say that older women need to coach the women in how to understand the hypostatic union or to acquaint them with various forms of church polity throughout church history or something like that. These women were faithful women who knew God, who knew their Bibles, and in all sincerity and love and faith, they approached these younger women, and they helped them in the most practical sort of ways. It's a very simple and attractive vision, and I think any mature and godly woman is capable of doing this sort of thing. You don't have to be Elizabeth Elliot. You don't have to be Nancy Guthrie. You need to be a faithful disciple of Christ who cares for other people and wants them to grow in grace. Let me just say as well, we should not prescribe a certain uh, form that this has to take. Uh, so, So don't think, please, sisters, that, you know, what this has to look like is me inviting another sister out to coffee and to take them through J.I. Packers knowing God or something like that. That would be wonderful if you did that. Uh, But this can happen uh, folding laundry back at the house. It could happen spontaneously during a play date. It could happen around a table while sharing a meal. It could happen with two sisters getting in the car and going to Hobby Lobby together. It could happen in the hallways of this church and in the pews after the service. This sort of ministry, this sort of teaching and training, this sort of organic discipling can happen in so many different ways, as diverse and as broad as all the people of God. And so I say that to your encouragement. Don't assign a certain sort of method to how this is to be accomplished. Let's consider thirdly now Paul's instructions to younger women. Paul's instructions to younger women. Now just observe uh, that these instructions are apparently being mediated through the older women. So presumably uh, these older women who are to do the teaching and training, they're proven in these areas as well, proven in terms of experience. Uh, They've lived faithfully in these particular areas, and these are the areas they're supposed to train these women in. So what you really do have is some more instructions for older women. Uh, They're to be experienced in these areas and proven in these areas, and they're to pass that on to younger women. And I love sort of the various line of transmission here. You have the Holy Spirit inspiring Paul, who's instructing Titus to instruct the older women, to instruct these younger women to live in this sort of way. And it does seem to be 
presumably that the younger women were to be receptive and open to input and training from these older women. These are the areas Paul highlights now for the younger women. Verse 4, the older women are to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Let's take them one at a time. First of all, the older women were to train the younger women to love their husbands and children. And it would seem the focus is on doing so practically, uh, to help the younger women understand what it takes to love husband and children and what it looks like practically to love their husbands and children. Now, sadly, uh, conversations often between women uh, can often devolve, can't they, into a sort of uh, dressing down or complaining about husbands and children. And by the way, sadly, that happens among men as well. It can be very natural to complain about how things are at home. But Paul says instead uh, that women in this sort of relationship, this sort of mentorship, should focus on helping one another to love their husbands and children together. Can you imagine if every instance of a spouse complaining about their spouse was replaced with like a practicum for how to prayerfully help our spouses grow in godliness? And so I think what's envisioned here is, is sort of the younger woman, maybe she's new in her marriage or something like that, and she's just saying to this older sister, I'm just struggling, you know, with, with, with John at home. He's just, he's just, I'm just frustrated. He's not doing this or he's not being the way he should be. And then the older sister comes along and says, well, how are you praying for John? You know, I can remember early on in our marriage the ways in which we struggled. I'll tell you what, there was, there was a promise in the word that was really helpful to me. Let me take you to that passage. Uh, or, or the younger woman is saying, you know, I'm just, the kids are driving me crazy. I don't feel like I can get through the week. Uh, I, I don't know how to do this. And here's the older sister who says, hey, I can sympathize. I know what that's like. And, and let me tell you how God helped me when I was at your stage of life. And here's some of the lessons the Lord taught me. That's the sort of thing Paul seems to be envisioning here. Uh, my wife and I, we joke about this, there are um, certain men that I will spend time with, uh, who are kind of sort of men that mentor me, disciple me kind of thing. And um, Jenna is so positive about these relationships. I mean, she just wants to make me super available to meet with these brothers because she knows that when I come back from these lunches or these breakfasts or these meetings with these guys, I just happen to be more encouraging as a husband. I happen to be sweeter temperamentally to her. Because she knows these brothers are keeping me accountable. We're talking about marriage, and we're talking about how to love and honor our wives. And um, similarly, there are certain women in my wife's life who, listen, any day of the week, I will make time for her to get coffee with these sisters because she comes home, and she's encouraging, and she's trying to build me up, and she's just trying to bless me in lots of ways because I know what happened over coffee was they were talking about how to better love their husbands and better love their children. Sisters, let's seek to be these types of friends and types of women for each other. And brothers, let's try to be these sorts of men and friends for one another. Uh, let us all work together uh, to help one another love our families, love our wives, love our children, love various ones in our relationships and networks and spheres of influence more and more. It's a beautiful thing. And that's the vision Paul is holding out uh, for us here in this passage. Secondly, the younger women are to be self-controlled. The older women are to help them grow in this virtue of being self-controlled. Uh, that is, uh, to help the younger women to govern their actions, their thoughts, their words, their appetites, their impulses, in submission to God's will and relying on the help of God's Spirit. Younger women, God's will is that in your work and in your speech and with your time and in your relationships with your husband and children and in your thought life and in your emotions, you're to be self-controlled. It's one of the most precious fruits of the Spirit. Thirdly, the older women are to train the younger women to be pure, uh, both in behavior and in the mind. The word here is probably uh, referring to sexual purity. Uh, it's simply a myth that sexual temptation is a struggle only for men. 
Uh, proof of this can be seen in the massive market among women for sexually suggestive and provocative novels and shows, uh, many of which are targeted exclusively to women and are sadly consumed by women week in and week out. The reality is many women struggle in the area of purity. Some struggle to be faithful to their husbands, maybe in their conduct, uh, though often in their thoughts. So let me just encourage you, older women and younger women, you need to make this part of the conversation at some point in your discipling relationships. You need to go there, as it were. Uh, these older women, apparently in the, the realm of topics and subjects they were permitted to speak about, uh, was this issue of purity. I commented last week in talking about younger men being self-controlled on how the younger generation today, at least in America, is the most overly sexualized generation in American history. And there's lots of young people that are struggling to put this together and to navigate a world that is tempting them and trying them in so many ways. They need mentors. They need godly older men and godly older women who are going to help them. Who's going to help these young people? Brothers and sisters, let me encourage us to fill the gap in keeping with God's command and to try to help one another to be pure. Okay, fourthly, the older women should train the younger women to be working at home. And now the white Christian patriarchy rears its ugly head, right? Working at home. There is nothing controversial in this statement. Paul doesn't seem to think there's anything controversial in this statement. There's nothing controversial in this statement. This does not mean that a younger woman may not have a job outside the home. Plenty of women in the Bible worked outside the home. The Proverbs 31 woman comes to mind uh, for one. This should not be understood to mean that one's only or official occupation must be that of a homemaker. But that said, it does seem to be that the effective and efficient running of the household is a significant part of a wife's calling and should garner a substantial amount of her attention. Is that an outlandish conclusion from what Paul says here? That the older women were to train the women to be workers at home. I just want to encourage you, sisters, don't despise homemaking. It is a wonderful, beautiful, and desperately needed ministry in our day. Uh, for, for faithful women to work to make the home a refuge for weary souls, a, a beacon of light in a dark world, sort of women who aspire to make their home kind of like the palace beautiful in Pilgrim's Progress, where weary pilgrims could go and find rest and find consolation on their journey. There were a couple women uh, that I knew growing up, um, Debbie Beisner and Nancy Campbell. Uh, anybody who passed through their house, their homes, experienced blessing. Uh, their homes were centers for hospitality, for prayer, for worship, for discipling, for fun, for wholesome, safe, happy times together. And all of us young people and older people who, who got to be around their table and to be in their, their home setting, I just had this sense that we were in a safe and happy and bright, attractive environment. It was a glorious thing. To this day, I can remember what an impact that had on me. And we were sort of drawn like, 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 like moths to a light to their house because these women didn't despise homemaking. They understood the very bright and positive and attractive thing it was to make a home in a way that was a blessing to other people. And so I just want to encourage you, sisters. Obviously, our generation doesn't highly esteem this sort of a ministry. But this is a blessed calling. This is a blessed ministry. And I want to encourage you with gladness in your hearts, with cheerfulness, and with a sense of calling, I'm going to make my home the most wonderful and hospitable and inviting environment it could be to bless countless people over the years. And I bless God that in our church there are wonderful examples of this. And may their number increase. The women are also now, I think we're at number five. They're to be kind. Very simply, uh, she is to exercise goodwill toward others. She's generous in her disposition. She is kind, compassionate, and caring. 
in all her relationships. And I just have to move a little more quickly now. We'll just go to the last one there. The older women are to train the younger women to be submissive to their own husbands. Uh, to be submissive uh, means to be subordinate to another, or to yield in one's will to the leadership and direction of another. Uh, here Paul just simply states it as part of his instructions to women. He doesn't elaborate on it. Of course, Paul does say a whole lot more in other passages that require submission of wives to husbands, such as Ephesians 5 and 1 Peter 3, and various motivations are given in those places. Uh, but here he just states it as one of the areas where older women are supposed to help the younger women. And again, just notice, Paul doesn't view submission as problematic or needing explanation or qualification or some big long excursus. Paul understands that the submission of a wife to her husband is not a matter of competence. It's a matter of God-given assignment. It's a matter of God-given design. He understands this ordering of the family to be a reflection of the goodwill of a good God, and so he makes this part of the agenda. Older women help the younger women in this area. And there's a great need, isn't there, I think, in our age, for women to model what godly, gospel-displaying submission in the home looks like. And this really does need to be part of the conversation, doesn't it, uh, in conversations between uh, women. So, sisters, I encourage you, teach the younger women by word and by example what true God-honoring submission in marriage looks like. And now notice, finally, this motivation Paul gives. Uh, verse 4, the, the younger women are to be trained to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the Word of God may not be reviled, that the Word of God may not be reviled. Faithfulness in life and in interpersonal relationships and in the home can provide grounds for adorning the Word of God. Sisters, your conduct can either attract criticism and an undermining of the Christian faith, or it can be an argument for the validity and beauty of the Christian faith. And this is the motivation that Paul is supplying here. Faithfulness to these things is so much more than just acting right. Or, or preserving culturally traditional family values or something like that. This is a matter of honoring God and doing credence and credit to His Word. And so, sisters, I just want you to, to love this motivation and these instructions that the Holy Spirit is giving through the Apostle Paul to these women. It's not a way to subjugate women or to knock women or to put them down or something like that. There's this glorious motivation that the veracity, the validity, the testimony, the beauty of the Word of God is to be upheld. And you have this opportunity in your lives and in your conduct and in your speech and in your relationships with other women and in the home environment to uphold the Word of God and to provide a bright and attractive and winsome picture of what a godly life as a woman looks like. The glory of God and the power and authority of His Word is the motivation for you. That is the highest possible motivation Paul could assign here. That the Word of God would not be reviled, but that it would be upheld and that it would be honored. In closing now, let me just give two words of application. A word to husbands and then a closing word to women. Uh, first of all, a word to husbands. I said last week I wasn't going to beat up on the guys. I'll try not to do so now either. Brothers, encourage your wives and help them to be Titus 2 women. Brothers, make sure that your wives know that this sort of character is what you value. More than that she just looked pretty for you, or that dinner arrived on the table on time, or that the kids get to all of their things. Make sure she knows that you find this character, these qualities, this kind of a life, an attractive and wonderful thing. Brothers, lead her and love her and help her to be this kind of woman. Don't become an obstacle to her godliness. Stimulate her and encourage her toward greater measures of Christ-likeness and spiritual maturity. Last week, I encouraged the sisters on the front end of the message, help the men of this church to be Titus II men. We need you in this. 
Brothers, our sisters need us to help them to realize this vision that's held forth in Titus 2 as well. And brothers, let me say more. And I do think some of us need to hear this, okay? Brother, make your wife available for this kind of ministry. This sort of discipling, mentoring sort of relationship. Make her available for this kind of ministry. Promote her in this kind of ministry. Don't make it hard for her to be a Titus II woman. If we got to take the kids, or we got to ask the boss to maybe give us a little wiggle room on the work schedule or something like that, let's be willing to do that to promote our wives, our sisters, into this faithful and godly work of discipling and teaching and training younger women. Let's make it easy for them to live out the vision that God's Word holds forth for them here. Well, now, secondly and finally, a closing word to women. Sisters, I just want to encourage you to give yourself to Titus II ministry among the women of the church, to give yourself to the vision that Paul is holding out here in Titus II. Older sisters, let me encourage you to lead out in this. Uh, Model for us what this looks like, to train and to teach and to disciple younger women in the context of our church. And I'll just say, very practically, if if you don't know how, if you feel ill-equipped, if you feel like the idea of approaching a younger woman and trying to engage in a discipling kind of relationship, that's so unnatural to me, I don't know that I want to do that, I don't feel equipped to do that. Have the humility and the grace to to find an older woman in the church who's doing this well, who's proven in these areas and is having an impact and an effect on younger women, and just just humbly go to her and say, hey, I've noticed God has blessed you in this area. He's, He's given you a gifting in this area. I really want to do something like this in my own life as well. I want to be a blessing to younger sisters in the church. Would you would you coach me? Would you pray with me? Would you help me to grow in this area? And in effect, what you're doing is creating a Titus II ministry right there, inviting a gifted sister, a proven sister into your own life to help you to realize what Paul is calling you to in this passage. I'll say, too, feel free to come to your pastors. Just say, hey, can you help me a little bit practically in in, in how to carry on these sorts of relationships? I remember with fondness, a couple of years ago, I was going through Mark Dever's little book on discipling, that little blue book, we bought copies for all of our members maybe six months ago or something like that, and I was going through it and talking to my wife about it, and she said, it'd be great to get some women together to go through this. I said, let's do it. And we had about a half dozen women over for four or five weeks or something like that, went through that book and talked about discipling. It was wonderful. Any, any group of women who want to come to me and have that sort of a study, we can do that anytime. We talk about what it looks like to do this kind of Titus II ministry. Younger sisters, let me encourage you to value this and to pursue this as well. Make the time for this. I know life is busy. I know there's a lot going on. But make time for what God has revealed in His will is good for you. Make time for these kinds of relationships. And sisters, aspire to be such a woman yourself. You don't have to wait until you're old to disciple others. Uh, find a woman who's a little ways behind you, either in her Christian life or in age or something like that, and seek to help her and to encourage her. Uh, this, is, this is something every member of the body of Christ can do in some capacity or another. But to all the women of the church, I want to say this. This is a wonderful way to live your life. The sort of woman that Paul is describing here who's reverent in behavior, she's not a slanderer, she's not addicted to wine, she's not enslaved to anything, rather she uses her speech to build others up, and she's seeking to to help train and teach younger women in how to love their husbands and their children, and how to be submissive in the home, and how to keep the home, and how to be pure and to be godly. Look, that sort of a life is a life well lived. And there are women who have just quietly for years and years and years, given themselves to these kinds of relationships where they invest meaningfully and regularly and deliberately in the lives of their sisters in the church. And before you know it, after 20, 30, 40, 50 years, they have hundreds of daughters in the faith all over the world. That's a life that counts for eternity. 
of all the things you can do with your life, investing in your sisters in the faith is one of the most fruitful and worthwhile things you can do with your life. And I I just want the women of this church to view this positive vision as something attractive, that I really can change the world. I can have an impact on people's lives, and it starts by simply drawing someone into a relationship with you and, 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 and memorizing a passage of Scripture together and talking about the Lord together, spending time together, investing. Maybe you just meet with one woman a year. Do that for 40 years, and there will be 40 women in the world with the imprint of your life and your love on their lives. That's a life worth living. It's a life that counts. And listen, there there are a lot of people in the world who will jeer at the Christian faith as though it lacks resources for women, as if it's, it's a religion that puts women down. Not us. This is a life worth living. This is the kind of life that accrues honor and reward everlastingly in eternity. And sisters, I just want to encourage you to go after it. There is no reason why every woman in this church cannot have a wonderfully fruitful and positive ministry among your sisters in this church and even in other places. Every one of us can buy into this sort of a vision and contribute to the culture of this body of believers. May it be one in which it's only natural Only common in every way that we would open up with one another and encourage one another and intentionally and deliberately speak into one another's lives. May God help us to realize the vision of this passage. Let's pray together. Our Father, your word is good and it's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We thank you for what you have revealed here in Titus chapter 2 for men and for women, for all of us, for what it looks like to walk in faithfulness to you. We take these instructions as given to us through the inspiration of your own spirit and as a picture of what it looks like to walk in a manner that's pleasing to you and that honors you. We pray we would never do so as a means of trying to earn favor with you or to establish some grounds for boasting but we would do so as those who have been changed by the grace of God and by that same grace trained to live godly lives. We pray that you would help us more and more in our own church to realize the ideals that are held forth to us in your word for the church. We pray we would be a truly multi-generational church where younger and older generations love and value and esteem one another and are engaged in deliberate and fruitful relationships with one another and that this would have a glorious and attractive effect on the life of our church. Please help us, Lord. We wish to be faithful by your grace. Would you fill us with your spirit? Would you give us your power? Would you give us your grace to make us into all that you have called us to be? We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.